Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome. My name is Robin Robertson. I'm the creator and host of this podcast, and I always want to start with a big thank you to everyone tuning in. I would like to give my apologies on the big break between episodes, between the last episode and these ones in March. There's been a lot going on that we've been building and creating behind the scenes, as well as a few other, you know, I still have my other roles with my family and home educating mom and all those things as well. So, We're back at it, though, for this month, so expect some amazing episodes and content coming your way in this podcast, as well as other formats that I want to provide more community and support. So look out for our homeschooling summit March 18th called How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler. You can go to that website, howtobeanawesomehomeschooler.com to register. I'll tell more about the wonderful goodies coming your way through that. Um, But there's other ways within the community as well that we are continuing to offer support. This month of March is going to be a great one if you are a new homeschooler thinking about homeschooling or just need a bit of a refresh. So definitely tune in and stay tuned as well. This podcast and podcast community have been growing. So thank you so much for your support. I am very grateful to everyone that has listened in the past, is listening now, and future listeners to come as well. And if you have connected with this podcast and found it helpful, please leave a review. Reviews go a long ways or recommend it to a friend. I have a lot of listeners that say, oh, I was asking my friend about homeschooling or I was curious about this. And they said, just check out Robin's podcast. Check out how to be an awesome. No, check out Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids (laughs) or follow Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids on social media. But yes, check out how to be an awesome homeschooler as well. (laughs) So... (laughs) I do want to continue to grow this podcast because I want to have a space to share more of the stories of families and people that have created their own unique learning journey outside of the classroom walls. I think it's important to share or have a platform to share how they did it, what it looked like, and what they overcame, as well as what they learned and how they grew. So these next few episodes are special to me. I mean, all the episodes and interviews are special. Absolutely. I always learn something every time. But these next few to come, they feature interviews with older unschoolers. One of them is actually my son, Ronan. So definitely, that's this one. Yeah, I know you're going to enjoy it. And the other is with my friend, Tyra Hunter, and her daughter, Zoe, who's a grown unschooler. So they are intimate conversations, and they offer great perspective And I really appreciate both Ronan and Zoe being so real. And actually, these conversations were off the cuff. So a big shout out to Ronan and Zoe for the the openness that they shared on, on these interviews. 
And as a parent that might be curious about homeschooling or unschooling, even if you have younger children right now, this is a great time to listen, especially if you're looking at it for the long haul. Uh, If you have questions on, well, what about later on? How do we do this and adjust? These are great interviews to listen to. And, you know, here's another piece of information for you as well. I've been talking about teens a lot lately because that's my current reality. That's where my family sits right now. And and if you've been listening to this podcast or have had a chance to to um, to be in conversation with me, whether through email or through my newsletter, yes, I have a newsletter. Go to my website to sign up if you haven't already, or through social media. You'll know that I often share our personal experiences and our reflections and what we're going through. So right now my kids are teenagers. We've been home educating for over nine years and that's the stage that we're in right now. But if you're a parent with young children or young kids, you know, that is looking at home educating. And like I said, for the long haul, you'll definitely still want to listen to these perspectives. It still gives great insight. And no matter what age you are or your kids are, where you are in your home educating or unschooling journey, there is still other amazing venues and support that we offer. So I've mentioned the summit, How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler, March 18th. You can go to that website, howtobeanawesomehomeschooler.com to register. And wow, we're this theme this year for March 18th is we're, we're talking about the three R's of learning. And it's not reading, writing, arithmetic. It's reclaim, resist, resilience. And we have an amazing lineup of keynote speakers and workshops. We have Ainsley Arment, founder of Wild and Free. She's speaking to reclaim. We have Leah McDermott of Your Natural Learner, who's speaking to resilience. We have Karima Akila of The Genius School, who's speaking to resist. Karen Ricks of Our Kitchen Classroom, who's speaking to resist as well, and Kelly Edwards of the 90-Minute School Day, and myself, Robin Robertson of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. We are partnering to deliver a great keynote on Reclaim, but specifically on reclaiming the teen years. So each per- so Ainsley's providing a keynote on Reclaim, as Leah will be speaking to resilience. And then Leah and I will be recording a live podcast interview talking about the three R's, reclaim, resist, resilience, and reading, writing, arithmetic as well. Karen will be offering not only a keynote, but also a workshop on play with your food. And if you actually go back through my episodes, Ainsley, Leah, Karen, Karima, and Kelly have all been past guests on my podcast. So if you want to get a little bit of background uh, on who they are and what they do, definitely go back and listen. For example, you know, Karen's a world schooler and they've been living in Albania for the past little while. Karima has created a self-directed learning community in schools that are opening up in various locations. Kelly has a 90-minute school day, Ainsley with her Wild and Free community, and Leah has just like, if you get a chance to check her out on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, I recommend it. Go to Your Natural Learner, and she just drops these learning. I mean, she's fantastic, so uh, definitely go back to the podcast. But for Reclaim the Teen Years, Kelly and I are actually going to be unpacking the myths around teens, home educating teens, and supporting self-directed learners. So it's a great, great workshop that we'll be offering. And shout out to everybody. You can go to the link in the bios 
sorry, you can go to the links in the show notes uh, to the website, but also the other links to things like our amazing sponsors. I want to give a shout out to as well. I said shout out to everybody, to our keynote speakers, but our sponsors as well. And our amazing sponsors include our platinum sponsors, for example. Math Codes is one of our platinum sponsors, and the founder, Kohila Sivas, has been on my podcast. I recommend you take a listen, especially if you're wondering about math, learning math, and homeschooling. She certainly supports self-directed learning. And Math Codes is actually not tutoring, it's coaching. And it's a fantastic holistic coaching methodology that's developed or been developed over 23 years. So go to mathcodes.com to learn more about Math Codes and the support that Kohila offers to not only children and, and younger learners and teens, but parents as well. Our, our other platinum sponsors include Praxis. Praxis is a fantastic alternative to post-secondary, and it's actually a year-long apprenticeship program that com- combines a professional boot camp and a full-time paid job at a high-growth startup. So because of those two amazing combinations, this program that Praxis offers is a direct route into entrepreneurial careers and without the cost and hassle of college. And as well with Praxis, the CEO, Cameron Scoresby, has been on my podcast. You can go back and take a listen as we talk about the differences, why it's unique, and really why it appeals to homeschoolers, unschoolers, and self-directed learners. Our other platinum sponsor is CoLearn. CoLearn is a fantastic resource and it helps to set your family up for success if you're homeschooling or looking for alternatives because they link you with the latest games, resources, apps, tools, curriculum, activities, and even instruction. And they not only support homeschooling families, but they offer learning pods and virtual schools as well. So I see the diversity in all of this. I love it. And our other platinum sponsor, we have four main platinum sponsors are Phonics in Motion. And Phonics in Motion, I know we, you know, I've talked a lot about literacy on this podcast and literacy, you know, really Phonics in Motion works well as one of our sponsors because it combines visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning experiences. So it's not a sitting rote workbook learning. It's a full experience where we use visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning to help support and develop young readers and writers in a way that honors the inner child. So you know that's how we how we roll here as well in our in our self-directed and unschooling and homeschooling journeys as well. And special shout outs to our gold sponsors, Maple Rose. Uh, Jen is actually a friend of mine, the owner and creator of that company. And it, Maple Rose actually supplies Waldorf-inspired learning, crafting, and materials uh, that are all natural and local products. And it's an online store in Canada, Nelson, BC, actually. And I'll have all these links in my show notes, 90-Minute School Day, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, and then our silver sponsors, which are Conscious Homeschooling, and then our bronze sponsors, which Capturing the Charmed Life. And either through Clubhouse or my podcast, you'll know a lot of these as well. So let's get started on this episode. I think I've spoken for long enough. <laughs> In this episode, it's myself and my son, Ronan, and we're answering questions that listeners and social media followers have sent in. And my son is candidly talking about his experience uh, growing up unschooling or as an unschooling teen and having us as parents and <laughs> what it's like and his experience following his passions in the world. So let us know what you think and enjoy the episode. 
Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And today we have a special episode and a special guest. He's actually here with me live in the recording studio. I'm so excited to welcome my son, Ronan <laughs> Robertson, <laughs> to this episode. We have been home educating for nine years and counting. We found ourselves unschooling after a few years after actually it was Ronan was the one who originally I remember it was grade three year where he questioned we were still following the curriculum the provincial curriculum where we live it was, it was, it was grade four no it was grade I thought it was grade was it grade three or grade four uh, oh okay so now we were in Canada so I'm pretty sure it was grade four or grade five I think it was grade four though yeah so do you, do you know what I'm going to say? How sure. there was a curriculum where in the social studies part of the curriculum, you the outcomes generally was that it was you know so that the student can understand that they are part of a larger world, the difference and similarities between themselves and others in the world, uh, things like that were the outcomes of the social studies curriculum. And in order for students to understand that, the students had to study four specific countries. And the countries, well, it probably doesn't really matter right now what the countries were, but what did matter was that Ronan, my son, did not want to study those countries that were required in the curriculum to study. (laughs) And he asked me, he was like, why do I have to study these countries. I don't want to study them. I'm already studying countries that I'm interested in, that I want to go visit, and that for him, had he had a very personal connection or reason to study. And he was like, why can't I just study those for the same outcome? And I was realized that I had no answer to it, <laughs> that he was right. And the only answer I could give was because the curriculum says so. <laughs> I, I didn't feel like that was a good enough answer. And So I realized it was time for us to move on from the curriculum and do our own thing because we were already pretty well doing our own thing anyways. So um, I think that was probably the last, that that was the time that fully signified us stepping into the unschooling journey and creating our days for ourselves, really. So now fast forward. And Ronan is 15, my daughter is 12, and we're still at this. And yeah, and I, I invited Ronan on, and he so caringly and kindly agreed. He's actually been in our Patreon community already doing um, Patreon Lives, answering questions for patrons. And he gets tons of questions, or I get questions for him. Uh, coming up, he's going to also be interviewed on Galileo XP, um, on their clubhouse room or clubhouse club as well, about his life as an unschooler here in this family, especially because he's followed some pretty interesting adventures already at his age. So um, maybe should we start, how do you, how should we start with this, Ronan? Uh, I don't know, really. It's the <laughs> first time, so I don't know, whatever you think. Well, how about we do have a list of questions that have been sent in via social media. My apologies to any, anyone on my email list um, that I didn't get to send out questions for, but we can still send them in and Ronan, we can do another episode too where Ronan answers those questions. So I think really maybe we can start with, um, as an unschooler, um, maybe you can tell a little bit about your journey that you've been on this past year. 
Maybe we can start with that. And then we can go into the questions that were sent in because I think a lot of the questions that were sent in are the questions that people usually have about unschooling and what things are life, but also about his his um, expedition or his last yeah. <laughs> last part of the year. Wow. So, Ronan, um, what happened when you were 14? Um, yeah, so when I was 14, I went away to the wilderness in BC, in British Columbia, and I went to work as a horse wrangler, trail cutter, pretty much um, hunting guide helper, I guess you could say. I, don't know, I was on the hunts and I helped out. And I went up there for about six months. We went out in April of 2021. 2021, yeah. Yeah, April of 2021. And I came back in October with only like, how long was I back home for? Like a week maybe back home for? So not that long here. I was there for a long time is what I'm trying to say. And Six months you were gone. Yeah, but I only came back for like a week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you guys came out for a week, I think. Yeah. But I was up there trail cutting and horse wrangling. So basically what that is is there are multiple trails up there that we use the horses, and we go out into the bush to hunt different animals out in the mountains, and we need the trails to access different countries. So different country. And then so we use the horses, and we go and cut trail with the chainsaw and clear that all out. So when the hunters come, we can go up into the mountains and hunt whatever animal they're coming to hunt. So I did that for the first three months, I think. It took us about, well, it took us about two months to cut the, all the trails. The longest trails we were on for like 14 days out in the bush. The other guys were out, we split into two groups. The other guys were out for like 20 days. So it was a long expedition. And then uh, the hunters came up and then each hunt's about 10 days long. And then we used the trails to go out and we hunted mostly, I hunted mostly mountain goat. When I was out there, but they also do elk and moose and caribou and bear and uh, mountain goat and stone sheep. So that's basically the gist of things. So maybe you're wondering, we started with this story of him leaving home for six months when he was 14. He came back, he was 15 when he came back. Um, Maybe we'll rewind a little bit as to why you even went on this journey um, so what about, what about working for this outfitters was interesting to you? Why did you even want to go on this journey? Okay. Um, well, I loved hunting always for one and, and fishing. I've also loved fishing for a very long time and we knew the outfitter. He was kind of family friends. Me and my uncle actually had worked for him before. So we knew him and I, how did we, how did I think of it? Like, I think dad proposed the idea. Of me going out there? I think we work. saw Jordy. No, you saw him at, yeah. We you, saw him and we were talking to him and then dad. Yeah, and then dad brought it up. I, I was in Ontario fishing, I think, mm-hmm. then. So I emailed him and he said, yeah, come up. And they're, you, they're, I don't know if they were shorter workers, but they definitely needed another hand. So I went up there and I did not know what to expect, but <laughs> it was it was kind of weird going away from home for the first time, but I wasn't too nervous either. I was ready. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's good. So 14 and you were ready. Okay. So um, why do you, why did you feel ready to leave home at 14? Why, like, why did you feel so ready to go? Because were there other teens or kids there? No, there wasn't other teens. The youngest guy that was there was 19. He was the closest to my age. But 
Why was I ready, you said? Yeah. Well, why was I ready, actually? I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm pretty responsible, I feel. And also, I've been all over the world and I've had lots of experiences so I wasn't and I wasn't too nervous about being by myself and I knew I could take care of myself and like I feel like in our family we're always like you're not scared of letting us do our own thing and being at least by ourselves sometimes so I knew it like I know how to take care of myself and I don't know I felt I felt pretty ready going up there like I wasn't scared about being by myself away from my mommy and daddy (laughs) so yeah well, that's, yeah, that's great. That's um, understandable then as well. So um, as your mommy, <laughs> as your mom, was I scared? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm a mom. I think any mom that's listening to this, no matter how old your child is, is going to always have a bit of fear, I think, right? You always just want them to be safe. And I think that's probably a natural mothering instinct in some ways, but, um, but also to add to that too, as over the years, we've really, well, I hope we've encouraged and supported our kids to do things that they want to do to pursue interests and to build their learning on those things, on what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, and to ask questions and to learn more and to experience life by living life. And Ronan has been an avid lover of the outdoors and nature and animals since he was tiny, since he was a little baby. And, uh, you know, like animals just caught his attention from early, early beginnings and they kept his attention. And so doing something like this was also for you an extension of following that interest as well, right? You Over the years, Ronan's gone into fishing and hunting and this was a great opportunity to learn more hands-on in that interest. Is is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. I know I've loved animals for a long time. I remember just being captivated by them when I was like two years old even, some of my earliest memories. But yeah, I don't know what else to say to that. I think you're right. I think that's pretty clear. Okay. So... Where are we at here? Should we ask some of the questions that have come in and then we can expand on anything as well on that too? Yeah. Okay. So I had asked on social media if there was any questions that anyone had for Ronan because we're going to be recording this episode. And so I think what we're going to do is uh, we'll ask the questions and then we can expand from there. So... So here is one question. What's a big no-no for a mom of a teenage son to do or say? I think this is a good question for you. Because maybe what I think would be a big no-no might well, not be say, or vice versa. You say first. I want you to say first. Because Okay. A big no-no for a mom of a teenage son to do or say. Um, a big no-no. A big no-no. Well, I think maybe a big no-no of a teenage son or anybody, any child even, is to just be like, is to tell them no, that what they want, their interests are not important and that they should be doing something that we as a parent say they should do because assuming that we know better. I think that's how I think of it as a big no-no, that um, not 
encouraging or respecting what our teenage son has to say or what he's interested in. But I guess that could be taken different ways. Do you have anything to say on your side? Um, not encouraging me, basically, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Let me try to think. I don't know, I think you're pretty good, Mom. I'm trying to think, though, stuff that would be a big no-no. I don't know. I think you do a pretty good job. Oh, nice. Is there something I've done before where you're like, mom? Well, there's lots of times when I say something and you're like, mom, come on, mom. <laughs> like what? I don't know. I'm trying to think. We, we can come back to that if anything comes back to, big no. back to us. A big no-no. That, that's what I would think a big no-no would me. be. Yeah, not letting me to follow my dreams. Not, not letting me pursue the things I like to do. You're right. Not letting me pursue the things I like to do. Um, like, for helping me move forward, those type of things are definitely the biggest. Or, let's move on, Mom. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think of Yeah, we can come, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Okay. So here's the next question. What's something you learned about yourself there? This is for you, Ronan. What's something that you learned about yourself while you were away at the Outfitters in the northern BC wilderness? Um... Something I learned about myself there. I learned that I was definitely stronger than I thought I was, both physically and mentally. And also, the thing I learned, like, if you mean by, like, not, like, actual things I learned, like, things I learned about myself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I can handle a lot more, like, kind of keep going on that. Like, I'm definitely, like, Things aren't as scary as you think they'd be, especially, and I can get over my fears quite easily if you just confront them. And I don't know, like some of the hardest things to do was like, some of the stuff that scared me the most, like some of the stuff that scared me the most was like, it wasn't really, like I wasn't really scared of like animals or anything like that, but like it was kind of terrifying, not terrifying, but it was frightening when like you have to chase a horse somewhere (laughs) or like they run off and stuff like that mostly. Like I wasn't really like, I didn't have any, what's the word? I wasn't like, I was pretty mentally prepared, I feel. I I didn't really struggle in that area, but I was more terrified of like being lost somewhere or falling (laughs) off a cliff because you're pretty far out. But something I learned about myself is that I can definitely overcome that and I would just have a clear mind. I can think things through because there's a lot of hard problems. You kind of have to think things through in the moment and you don't have a lot of time. Especially when you're out with Maddie or some Jordy or someone, like because they're big characters, and they'll definitely, I don't know. I think I did pretty good though, but yeah, overcoming stuff mostly. That's a pretty big learning. You're brave and resilient. Yeah, I think those are huge things. Okay, um, so maybe maybe you can give an example or tell a story of when you're talking about some of the fears were like actual like physical fears of of falling off a cliff or um, some of the, why, why would you be on the cliff in the first place? Maybe give us a little bit of context or background into that. What were you doing where you were on like a mountain face or a cliff or there, you know, you could get lost or you have to find a horse or anything like that? <laughs> well, you, when you're out on, well, like, like for the cliff question, <laughs> When you're hunting mountain goats or stone sheep, I didn't hunt any stone sheep, but hunting mountain goats, they're up in the cliffs mostly. That's where they like to live. They eat grass up on the cliffs, and they don't really move around a lot. They mostly just 
sleep on top of a cliff. So you got to go up there and you climb a mountain and the mountains are pretty tall. So you're up way up high, sometimes like above the clouds even. I remember that was always a cool sight when you like break above clouds and it's like, oh, there's like nice up here and it's not cloudy because it's mostly raining a lot. But I'm talking about like when you like there's sometimes when you see an animal, you have to either when you go after it or just walking atop because you don't want to skyline yourself, that's what it's called, so you don't want to walk right on top of the mountain, or else most animals will see you. So you're walking across, and there's just shale slides, or there's cliffs on the side or the edge, and you're just kind of scaling. I remember there was one time we were with one of the hunters, and we were kind of walking across the top of this tabletop cliff kind of thing. We were on the side, because we didn't want to skyline ourselves. And there was, like, this little chute that we had to go down, so we literally had to, like, crawl, like, called on a ladder type of thing it was almost like rock climbing and if you fell it'd be a pretty long fall but you have to like scale down this side and then walk I mean, it was we were all fine but it was pretty scary and it's like steep like straight up and down almost but i got through it <laughs> <laughs> what about um so did you see any wolves cougars or grizzly bears as well <laughs> black bears yeah. Well, I guess moose can be just as dangerous if you're close or anything like that, but actual environmental factors, <laughs> other environmental factors as well, was was that a concern? Um, I wasn't really scared of grizzlies or cougars. Like, there's not many cougars or wolves. I didn't see any wolves. I, I, actually, I did see wolves. There was a wolf in camp a while, but I don't know. I was not terrified of them. Like one night we were sleeping underneath the tarp, me and Maddie, and the, it was on the hunts, and it was pretty cold that night. But we that was just after we got a mountain goat, so we climbed down, and that was a big climb. Like we were back in the middle of the night, and then we slept, and then we woke up the next morning, and we go. I think Maddie went to go get water, and there was grizzly bear tracks like ten feet away from our from our tarp, and our, we're exposed. It's not like a tent where there's like closed sides. You can like. You're outside, Just like tarp. <laughs> yeah, you can see outside. So I didn't even wake up though, but you sleep with your shotgun beside you, definitely. <laughs> but um, yeah, I wasn't too scared of them. They didn't really bother us much, but they're definitely there. We saw lots of them, like a lot of them. There's a lot of grizzly bears there, and black bear. Too. Yeah, but a lot of grizzly bear, mostly. Yeah, grizzly bear the. Grizzly bear are the heavy hitters. They're the big ones you don't want to mess with. Yeah. Black bears are more aggressive, actually. You want to say that again? They say black bears are more aggressive than grizzly bears, actually. When we were up there, there was a guy in a mining camp that got mauled by a black bear. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Whoa. Yeah. He just, he just, what, the bear was in the camp and they, they were... They were reopening the mining camp, I think, and the bear was... I don't know. I think the bear just kind of claimed it, mm. and the bear was there, and he was walking to start up the a generator or something like that, and the bear took him from behind, I think, and he like mauled his leg, and he had to go get surgery, and then the guy came, and one of the people shot it, and apparently there was a big, like, people wanted, the Fish and Wildlife wanted to sue him for shooting it. Oh, really? Which is pretty yeah. crazy, because he was, like, attacking fish. And, right. But, um, huh. yeah, they mauled him. Wow, that's the first time I've heard that story <laughs> about that one. Um, okay, so all right, so we can we can continue with stories as we ask go through more questions as well here too. 
Okay, so the next question is, it's a question for me. <laughs> my question to you, my friends at this question is, and I know who asked this question, Robin, the other Robin. Did you cry every night clutching his T-shirt? <laughs> and she has an LOL, I can't imagine, is what she says. So, parents out there, I was so excited for my son and proud of him, of course, but absolutely, I was so sad I was frightened, and I didn't cry in front of him. Well, maybe mm-hmm. once or twice. I don't know. Did I cry in front of you? Uh, I can't remember. Maybe I think so. I, I saved it until I was in bed at night. I was making more sad, though. <laughs> so I would go to bed, and I'd be in my bedroom, and I'd cry in bed. Um, you know what it is? It's, I mean, obviously, you you have... You know, you want the best for your kids. But this also was, I think, the shift of him leaving home. And, you know, in some ways it was sooner than expected because when he left, it was 14. And, you know, Rachel Rainbolt and I talked about this on her podcast recently because we were talking about the teen years as well. And and we talked about this, um, I'm trying to think, was it our other private conversations or or elsewhere? But... Um, you know, there is a grieving process that happens in the teen years as your children move closer to adulthood. And really with this process, that was the big thing for us, for his dad and I, was just the fact that our little boy was now a young man. And it was like saying goodbye to that part of that, of childhood, of his childhood that was now ending. And I think that was the biggest grief that I had that, um, you know, you do think, oh, is he going to be okay? Those things of like, what if something happens? Is it, you know, then I would feel responsible and all that sort of stuff. But really the big thing was just like, especially once he came home, it was official. Like that little boy has now grown and he's now a young man. And those days, those days, those years of when they're little, you know, they... They can seem long, but they're just such a small part of our entire life, really. Like if we're talking about fractions or percentages, you know, of our entire life that we live, you know, that childhood part is not very long. And it's such a beautiful part. Like I really love, I, I love my, my kids are such, to, like to me, such cool, interesting people. I, I really enjoy spending time with them. And I'm very grateful that we've had a chance to spend so much time together with our traveling and, and, and schooling. And, you know, that we, I had a chance to, to spend those years, but because they're so beautiful and just like, you know, you know how it is such a beautiful time. And so it's, you know, that process of saying goodbye. The, the infancy is long gone, the toddler years, the young child years, and they're still themselves, but it shifts and changes. So yeah, I cried, not on his t-shirt, but in my bed, <laughs> in my husband's arms, I think. <laughs> I didn't cry with you. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, but yeah, so at night, because I also, the other thing is, you know, I didn't want my worries or fears um, to cloud or to mar his experience. And as much as anything, any worries or fears that I had were mine. They were not his. They were my own fears. 
And I didn't have, I felt like it wasn't the place and I didn't have the right to put my own fears on him. He's living his own life. He needs this journey. He's not living my life. And so my fears are for myself and for my husband. <laughs> he, he heard it all and he, we supported each other and he had his own, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it wasn't up to, we, he didn't, my, our son didn't need to carry those fears for us. And so when it was, you know, we, I think we told you any concerns that we might have and how we could, we talked about it and how we could all feel prepared for certain things, but not with like, oh no, we, you know, trying to make it about a whole bunch of fear. We didn't want to do that. So sorry, I'm talking lots. I'll pass it to Ronan here. No, I was just going to say like some of your, I remember you talking about some of your fears with me, but like. I don't know. It was a lot different when I went back up, like when I went up there, like all the people I met and especially like the people I worked with, like they became like family to me, especially like we were like family, like, and it was, yeah, that's like, we were, yeah, it was pretty incredible. It was like, it was the closest the family I've had, like outside of family because we were together every day and like no matter through what, like through, and it was like tough times here with them. Like, I'm not talking, like, emotionally tough. I'm talking, like, actually well. <laughs> raining on you and, <laughs> and like, it's just cold and stuff like that. But Emotionally tough, I would think, too, because that gets at your, like, mental toughness and emotional toughness. Yeah, I feel like I wasn't that affected, though, mentally. I feel like I was pretty ready for everything. I wasn't, like, I didn't have any breakdowns when I was up there. Not that I usually have breakdowns. <laughs> I don't, but I was fine. I think the other thing as well that I just wanted to mention too that I heard is feedback from like the owner and 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 the owners up there and staff and stuff and was that um, because this is a question that gets asked about homeschoolers and unschoolers all the time <laughs> is a whole socialization question like you know aren't your kids going to be these weird unsocialized kids who can't interact with the world because they haven't attended school and <laughs> Ronan's laughing he's scoffing. Here's the thing. This was one of some of the feedback that I got. Um, they'd said that Ronan was one of the few that got along with everybody and that no matter who, who he was partnered with for work or clients that came in, he was like, he was so easy to get along with, even with tough personalities that would clash with anybody else, they wouldn't <laughs> clash with him. He was able to like handle it and be amicable and hear other people, you know, and hear the person, you know, just respect them and therefore get the respect back. And so I think that was a big, you know, are you worried that they're not going to be able to socialize or talk to people or handle the world? Uh, absolutely. That was one of the defining um attributes that they shared with me that made it easy for them, like extremely easy then. And also like they loved it. They loved being around you. And, um, you know, that was a great thing that they'd shared. So I just wanted to add that in. Yeah, there's definitely some personalities. (laughs) Um, Yeah, some people didn't have, they had some conflicting personalities, but everyone got along, I think. But yeah. I did get along with everyone. There was no problems with anybody. All right. Okay. So we've got a lot of questions. So I think it's good. We we can ha- we'll have to do a part two and answer other questions that come in from other ways as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know I like to talk. I talk yeah. a lot. <laughs> okay, so the next question is, what did you miss about home? And what did you not miss? So first, what did you miss about home? Um, what did I miss about home? People, mostly. <laughs> just like... Family and friends? Family and friends and just people in general because there's not that many people you see. Like, I love the people up there, but you see them every day for like a long time. Maybe explain what you mean by there's not that many people up there. Well, in the camp, there's about about seven people. So including me, there's eight people. So you interact with them a lot and... Yeah, I definitely miss other people a lot and just getting to know other people. But um, another thing I miss, my mom's cooking and my own cooking and food. I miss food a lot. Mm. Food is one of the biggest things. I dreamed about food on the trail a lot. I actually had physical dreams about food. I did. <laughs> I, I, did. I dreamed about food. <laughs> Um, what did you guys, what was the trail food maybe talk about? Uh, potatoes, ground beef, beans, canned stuff. Um, and eventually the be- uh, meat goes bad. And then, well, we ate all the meat before it went bad. But then Jordy has to come in the plane and drop us more food. <laughs> but uh, we don't have a big array of food, a big, lots of choices. <laughs> There's only, I think we ate the same thing every night for like 14 days, two weeks. <laughs> so... <laughs> You definitely miss the food. On trail is a weird feeling, too, because you're like, I don't know, you love it at the same time you hate it. Because there's definitely sometimes you're like, oh, I just want to get out of there, just get out of the bush. But then you look back on it and you're like, that was the most amazing experience I've ever had. And I, like, I miss it now. Like, just it's an unexplainable feeling being out there by yourself, like, not by yourself, but being out there, like, way in the wilderness with your horses and your buddies and, whoa, just one buddy actually, it was just the two of us on trail. But like riding horse, it's like it's like a movie feeling. But it's like I don't know. It's like nostalgia. I think I've told you this. It feels like nostalgia almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like riding horses up into the mountains, and like there's these some places where you ride up these like passes, and they just get up into the alpine, and it's just like mostly when you're cutting trail, you do this, and then and it's just this amazing view. And sometimes the sun comes out, and there's these feelings like when it sucks, it's like. Sometimes it's like raining and it's, or you go through like a bog and a horse is like sinking in the bog and you're just like, oh, it's like mayhem. <laughs> and the horse is like cutting out of the pack line because you don't, the way we do it, a pack line is basically, or our like horse pack string. Our pack string is basically when you have, we have these things called saddle pack, uh, pack saddles and we have riding saddles. So the riding saddle is what you used to ride and the pack saddles are what you used to pack your food and your like material and your chainsaw and your gas and all this stuff you pack them on the horse. So one horse can take like a big horse can take about 200 pounds, I think, and maybe more even like a, it can take a lot of weight and they're just, they're called panniers. So they're like a Tupperware container that's like more sturdy. And there's a certain knot called, um, uh, diamond hitch. It's called a diamond hitch. That's what you use to tie the packs on. And a pack saddle is basically like this big wooden kind of big wooden mount. And then you throw the, and then they fit the packs, the pannier should perfectly on there and you tie them on. But back to my story. <laughs> so you basically ride into these mud holes and the horses are going everywhere. And we don't like to tie our horses to each other because it can cause problems and it can mess some stuff up, especially if you have some problem horses. Because they're not all perfect, all the horses. They all have each each different personalities. 
and then you have to. But um, how I many fe- horses? Uh, on trail, we took five horses because there's only two of us. Then on the hunts, we took eight, and then there's twenty one horses Jordy had, but he bought ten more this year. Okay. What was the original question? Um, well, the original <laughs> question was, uh, what did you miss about home? What did you not miss about home? Mm. What did you not miss? Food. Food you said you were big. dreaming about food and yeah, definitely food. Sometimes you food, eat the same thing every day. Different people, food. different people meeting different people, and yeah, mostly those are the mostly big things. And also, when you're on trail, you just kind of just dream about a bed or just like like just things you would take for granted. You, you slept on the ground or granted, you definitely yeah. miss them on trail, but. It's amazing looking back on it. Like sometimes you hate it when you're on trail and it's like raining, but then you look back and like even like you look back to like a sunny day on trail, you're like, oh, I missed that sunny day. Oh my God, the sun was out. That was amazing. And it's like, and you're in the rain and it's just like, oh man, this sucks. <laughs> but you look back on it and it's amazing still. But yeah. And then what did I not miss? Yeah. What did you not miss? People. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> um, what did I not miss? Hmm. Not that I missed everything, but I didn't really not like. I wasn't really. Hmm. What did I not miss? I don't really. I don't really think like that. Honestly, like I don't think about things. Oh, I miss. Like I do think about stuff like food and stuff like that. (laughs) But I don't really think about stuff on a emotional level. You could say. Yeah. Doesn't really cross my mind. But what did I not miss? I'll try to think of that though, just to answer the question. What did I not miss? Being told what to do. <laughs> being more, being told what to do. I definitely get told what to do, but I'm more of a, treated like more of an adult. I definitely like that more. Being treated like an adult, and not that I'm not treated like an adult here, but <laughs> you're still, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> So I, I just said it's a little bit different dynamic with mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, mostly that. Just being treated more like an adult and having I, I don't I don't know if I liked having more responsibility, but I, I kinda did like it in a sense. Like I liked it more in a sense. And also just not being told what to do. That's <laughs> that's a big thing for me. I hate being told what to do. Explain more. What do you can you expand on that? Having more responsibility. So do you you're well, saying, like, can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, well, you're you're definitely more responsible for your actions. Like, whatever you do affects you, and you don't have anyone coming for you. I guess, Here. like, yeah, no. no, and I'm talking about, like, out there. Okay. You have more responsibilities out there because you don't have your mom and dad with you and right. stuff. Like, you are, I wouldn't say you're by yourself, but you're, you're talking for yourself, mm-hmm. and you have mm-hmm. to be careful what you say, definitely. I definitely think about what I say before I say it, and... I don't know. You definitely have different responsibilities. Like, you have to get things right or else, especially, like, actual responsibilities, meaning, like, you have to get something done or you have to, like, you're you're trying to fix, like, you're trying to fix, say, a car or something and you have to, like, be on top of things. Mm -hmm. Like, definitely, like, keeping that in mind and being more in the moment, I guess you could say, and just being responsible for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you, yeah, if you don't, if you don't get up and start the generator, then you have no power. 
if Julie you does that though. okay. That Although he said you woke up a million times and it was already you had already got it started, but is I, it, oh no, Sherry if they, I was always up second. It was me, Sherry. No, Sherry then me, then Jordy, and then Jeremy, and then Hunter. Right. Okay. But I, I get with the responsibility. Nice. Like your responsibilities were extremely important for things to happen, and yeah, I, I definitely get that. So I was scared I mess up every day. You really? Well, not scared, but I was, I didn't want to mess up. So I was kind of, I had that in my back of my mind always. I think that's a big, it was a help for me though, because I, I don't think I messed really up anything, not to toot my own horn, <laughs> but I think I did pretty well. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And Jordy said so, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with my performance, you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think you did excellent. You're very, you're very responsible and you're very cognizant and yeah, and you, you do a great job. You're a hard worker, but you're also very conscious and, you know, yeah, no, that's no, not a good thing. Grandma. I was listening to grandma. Gee. My grandma's a big character, so she <laughs> she definitely says what's on her mind. And she always says, uh, what does she say about me, about working? It's like, Ronan, you're a hard worker when you want to be or something, and you're lazy when you want to be. Yeah. She always says that. Yeah. That'd be my mom, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Grandma G, to my mom for sure. <laughs> so also to explain, like, where Ronan was, uh, there was no stores around. There was, I guess you guys had to fly in. <laughs> or drive a very, very long distance. Um, the, closest the closest was the reserve, Seke. right? Right, Seke Reserve was Seke the closest. Dene. Seke Dene. Well, that's... The, right. The Seke Dene, okay. And how far was that? Uh, I guess you could call it the town of Seke, more of a hamlet or a village. There was only like maybe 150, 200 people that lived on the reserve there. And it was about a two-hour drive from Fort Graham because you had to drive up above the lake and across the Finley River Bridge. And then you'd have to go down to Seke. So it was about three hours, depending on the roads, because the roads get, like the graders come once every three months, maybe. Well, you should explain it's a logging. It's a logging road, so the roads get pretty messed up. There's big bumps. Sometimes it's like bumps every 10 meters. It's, it's barely a road. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty rough sometimes. They graded it once the whole time I was there, I think. Yeah. So... So, yeah, there's no pavement that we're talking about, no lights or highways or no, anything like yeah. that. It, it's remote. Um, so it's also not like you feel like getting something, you can run or drive to the <laughs> store, no problem. That's that's not happening. Yeah, she had the, the way we got food is, well, should I say her? Yeah, I could say her name. Mm-hmm. Well, the lady there, Erica, she, she'd order the food and from, I don't know where she ordered the food from, but it come up on the truck that came, that comes to... Seke every month, and then that's how you get all your food. Mm-hmm. And then they drive to Seke and pick it all up and then drive back. Right. Okay. So accessibility to things was very minimal. Okay. Okay, so we have more questions. Okay. So the next question is, how did hunt so <clears throat> sorry, how did unschooling help you before, during, and after your adventure? Unschooling definitely helped me, I think, because I feel it helped me. In the way that I was more, like, I had more responsibility at home. I don't, I don't know. Do I have more responsibility at home, you think? Mm-hmm, I think but so. I think I definitely take care of myself more than the average kid my age. And, like, I cook my own breakfast and lunch every day. And, sometimes dinner. And dinner and sometimes. For the family. For the family. And, I don't know, I, I feel like I take care of myself a lot. I'm very, like, I tell you what I want to do mostly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
that definitely helped me in a way that no one really has to tell me what to do because I kind of already know what I have to do and then I do it. I think Jordy definitely liked that too. <laughs> he said that actually. <laughs> and um, Jordy's, you explain Jordy is the, the owner of the outfitter. He owns it, Jordy McCauley. If you want to search up, the, if you want to search up the outfitter, you can search up finleyriveroutfitters.com. That's their website. And they have a lot of things there. They have like a whole photo gallery and everything. I'll put it in the show notes. I might be on there actually. Maybe. We'll see. Um, but that definitely helped me in that way. And how did unschooling help me? It's hard because I don't really know much other other things, well, many other things. I know one thing, and this is maybe during what to answer the during is um, you also had lots of knowledge that you're able mm. to mm-hmm. that you already had because of all the hours and time you've spent out adventuring or hunting or fishing. Yeah, it definitely gives me time to do what I want to do. Like on in the fall before I went up there, I'd be out every day hunting every morning. Well. Yeah. Most mornings and most evenings, I'd be out walking, <laughs> like glassing or glassing, meaning like looking through your binoculars, looking for animals. And I'd be out walking and just learning about the land and learning where they are and learning their patterns and learning where they were today and where they'll be tomorrow and what they're doing. And I'm talking about like elk and deer and moose and coyotes and bear and stuff like that. I don't really hunt bear. I've never really been into hunting bear. But, um, yeah, definitely gave me a lot, a lot of time to learn and help me in that aspect. Um, yeah, I can't really think of any other ways it helped me, honestly. So, it probably helped me in a lot of different ways. I just don't really know much else. And what about after? There's a question. How did it help you before, during, or after? After. Like after I came out of the, like, or just the whole, like, just like right now. Uh, let's say right now. I- I do want to say Ronan didn't know any of these questions coming into the episode. I'm just asking them. They, I've, they've come into me, but I didn't really tell him any of these questions yet. So maybe we should have prepared beforehand. I don't know. <laughs> I should <laughs> be fine. Sorry, everyone, for the, so for the waiting of me trying to think through these. Man, that's a hard one. It's like weirdly hard. Like you wouldn't think it's hard until you try to think it through. Do you have anything to say? Like do you have um, like observing me? <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're still in the after right now. Like you're still in that moment for sure. So, you know, having that perspective is a bit difficult, I think, in some ways. Um, But the after, I guess, as your mom and seeing you, um, when you first came home, you just wanted like downtime. You wanted to sleep in a bed. You wanted to sleep in. Fair enough. You just wanted, he just wanted to rest and recover from just like the actual hardcore physical daily work of his, of, of his work. Um, so we gave him space to do that. And then I think now, um, well, I see you now is like, you're slowly still building for the future. Like and finding your way of how you can continue to to do what you want to do and master certain things in your life. Well, I feel that answering for that's kind of answering that question in a way. With the unschooling and being up there, it definitely gives me more perspective mm-hmm. on different things. Like I have more perspective of being away, and also just like now I know what I have to do when I'm up there, and I'm definitely going to go back because I loved it and. But now I have definitely that perspective of being away and knowing how to work. Well, I, I didn't know how to work before I went up there, but like knowing the actual 
like on my own and what what I have to do. And yeah, that mixed with unschooling, I guess you could say, helped me after because I have more like insight, you could say, to the whole world in general. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Your perspective has grown in that way too. Okay, so still more questions. (laughs) What's your future plan? How far in the future? Uh, So let's say, okay, let's go five years, then 10 years, then however long you want to go. Um, Well, I don't know my future right now, but I'll say I definitely want to go back and I want to get my guiding license. So you have to get your guiding license. The earliest you can get is 18 years old. So that's in three years. So for the first three years, I'm definitely going to help wrangle and help you on the hunt and learn as much as I learn as much as I can because I definitely want to guide there for a couple of years and try to build up my name and let like so I get more popular and so people will so I have more like choices mm-hmm. to where to go after that but after Fort after um, Finlay River because I'm not I don't want to be there forever but it's a great starting point and I love it there um I don't know I definitely want to travel a lot more go to like New Zealand and hunt and go to I definitely want to go to the Yukon because everyone up there loves the North and they just say the Yukon is the most amazing thing. Um, but I want to keep guiding mostly. I love it and I know I love it now. It's kind of like I have like reassurance. So I love that part of it. And if I don't guide, I definitely want to do something in hunting. And people could say like, what is your backup plan or something? And I'll, I don't really have a backup plan because I know I'm going to do that. And I'd, like, I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure. And I also know, like, what to do, like, the steps to get up to that mm-hmm. right now. So I'm going to keep pursuing that, and I still have love for it. So that's my future goal for the next five years at least. And then ten years, still hoping to do something in that aspect, but still, I don't know, pursuing my hobbies. I guess you could call skiing a hobby for me right now. But I love it, and continuing to do that and still guiding I think and just keep building up my name until I become like I want to get like a big following too that would be amazing so I can kind of still do what I want to do and have choices for what I want to do like not just guiding and then for the next like my whole lifetime hmm I haven't really thought farther than 10 years honestly but I just like to pursue my interests, and I know, and like especially going up there, it helped me like think like, oh, I can pursue my interests, and there is like always a path for me to take, and just, so I'm gonna keep pursuing my interests, basically. All right, there you have it, folks. That was <laughs> good. Okay, and we have a few more questions before we wrap up, and then we can certainly do a part two if there's any more questions that you have that come in. Yeah, Ronan has a ton of stories as well, and if this comes out before the Galileo interview, um, hopefully you'll be able to tell some stories on there as well. So, what, what what was the hardest time during your adventure, and how did you solve it? Hardest time during my adventure, and how do I solve it? Well, I think of it kind of in stages, like what I did up there. First was like the prep. I went up there and we got everything ready. And then everyone came up. And then we started shoeing the horses and getting ready for trail. And then we started cutting trail. 
And once we finished trail, we kind of, I don't know, we didn't really have any downtime after that. Like, what did we do as soon as we finished trail? Yeah. And after we finished trail, I think the hunters came right away. And then we started doing that. And then the hunters left and we got everything ready to leave. And then we left. So what was the question again? Sorry. What was the hardest time during your The hardest time during my venture. How did I solve it? Hmm. I think the hardest definitely was being on trail. Actually, no. Being on the hunts was the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I don't want to sound like like I'm bragging or anything like that, but I didn't really have that big of trouble when I was up there. It went pretty smooth, I think. Like, it was definitely hard work, and it was hard to do, but I wasn't, like, struggling, you could say. But the hardest things was definitely when the hunters came up. That's the hardest work, you could say. And the hardest time is, like, just mentally and physically being out there and it's just draining you, like, the sun's not out, and it's just, I don't know, and you're just wishing for a roof even sometimes like that's the biggest thing you just like I, st- I loved it up there when I was even when I was out there I still loved it like I'm not taking anything away from that but you just miss like real like a real house and actually things like that and, it's, and especially on the hunts it got when it got cold and it started snowing and stuff like that I loved every moment of this I'm not gonna say I didn't like it but I, I loved every moment but that was probably the hardest part and getting through it how I went through it how I got through it I probably just no, I just lived every day. Like I didn't really think ahead of one day when I was up there. I didn't even think of like tomorrow when I was up there because you have your routine, but you don't really know what's gonna happen. Like anything could happen. You could get charged by a grizzly bear in like two seconds. So you kind of just got to stay in the moment. I'm kind of making this sound more dangerous than it is, though. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> it wasn't that dangerous. It could have been, but we did fine. But yeah. Just living in the moment was the... And it was like, people always, people always say, like, live in the moment, live in the moment. And I feel like that's a lot harder than people say, too. It is. It's, like, a good thing to do. and But, like, when you're in... I don't want to say real life, because being out there is still real life. But when you're in, like, society, you could say, living in the moment is hard because you got to prepare for your next day, prepare for your next... Like, you got to prepare for your whole life ahead of you, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So you kind of can't live in the moment, really. But being up there... It kind of forces you to live in the moment. Like you're you're living every day, like you're gonna die the next, pretty much. And you just have your things you have to do, and then you know what you have to do, and then every day is different, especially when you're out hunting. So you're basically an average day. I'm t- I'm thinking like middle of September, let's say. An average day, we were out in the hunt, and we were in this camp. I don't want to even say the name of the camp, honestly. Jordy is the yeah. like Jordy does not like people saying anything yeah. about where he is, yeah. especially for people in Canada. He he wants hunters from the U.S. to come. <laughs> no one in Canada is allowed. He says, "No, he doesn't say that, but he doesn't want anyone to go up there right. because wants. that's his They're, spot. Right. It's not illegal or anything for people to go up there, but it is his spot. It's he his spot, it, yeah. and he definitely does not want people to know where his trails are. But anyways, what was I talking about? I was about to tell a story. Oh, yeah, an average day, an average day in middle of September, which is probably the hardest part when I was up there. You'd wake up, I'd get up the earliest, and I'd get everything ready for the day, mostly just get all my clothes on, and then I'd go out and pick up the halters and go out. And I'd usually bring a halter is what you tie around the horses. 
I think most people don't halters, but you tie around the horse's face and neck, kind of, and it's what you used to lead him. So you, so I grab my halters and then I go out, try to find the horses. Usually you can tell by, sometimes you can't hear the bells, you just got to track them. So you track the horses on foot and then once you find them, you have to kind of get around them and cut them off. And they have something called hobbles on, so it restricts their front legs from moving like one or the other. So their front legs are like, not tied to each other, but it's like, yeah, kind of tied to each other. So they're kind of hopping around. So they can't get away, but they can still feed. So you go out there, and you have to kind of cut them off. So I get the horses. I bring the horses back, and by that time, breakfast is usually ready. And thinking back, the day is pretty, it's pretty simple. That, but that makes it definitely a lot easier for like living in the moment, what I was saying. But I come back. I tie all the horses up. I eat breakfast. And what you also have to do is you have to catch the the lead horses or the main horses because there's definitely leaders in the fractions uh, in the horses like there's different fractions so some horses follow this one some horses follow this other so you definitely got to think about that when you catch them usually the leaders are harder to catch but they're the best ones to catch because they'll be like the other horses will follow them like there's some horses that just they like if you just catch that one just all they all follow that horse like tuck or um romeo or um happy so you catch these horses, and then you tie them up, and then you eat breakfast, and then you, I saddle the horses, and I get ready for the day doing that, and then the hunter and me and the guide would eat breakfast, and then we'd go out to our spot we were going to hunt from for the day, so we tie the horses up, so we'd ride, it was about usually an hour ride to where we were going to hunt, so we tie the horses up, and then we climb up a mountain, and then when you're up the mountain, it's pretty cold, but you dress for, you dress for the weather, definitely. So you climb up this mountain, and then you start glassing, basically. So you start looking for goats. And it was snowing most of, most of the time that. It started snowing, I think, September 12th, I think is the day it started snowing. My birthday. Yeah. I remember we got, because that hunt, we got the goat on my birthday, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so that was pretty nice. But it was also the hardest day when we got that goat. But... um. But then, yeah, sometimes we didn't find a goat that whole day, didn't even see one. He'd climb back down the mountain and he'd ride out and ride out of the trail. And then he'd get back right around dark, usually, or in the dark. And then we'd repeat. So it was a pretty simple day, but it was the hardest part, definitely. Most physical, like most physical and the most mentally challenging. I feel like I just went in a rant there. No one understood <laughs> what I was, was going to no, say. No, because the question was also what was, um, how did you, what was hardest and how did you solve it in your adventure? But I think, you know, I think you answered it. I think it's also a good point to how you rounded it back around when you're talking about living in the moment or being just very present with the now and how it's so much easier there. Yeah, but I was trying to say like, yeah, wait, never, sorry, continue well, it's okay. And I was just going to say, like, because of the simplicity, when here in busy society, it's like we have all these things around us to distract us. It's and that like, are busy and, busy, and it's like, it's hard to, simplicity makes it easier. It reminds me of, like, Buddhist monks, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that their whole, like, philosophy and sim- uh, simplicity. Because, like, you don't really have that many things to do, but you have your tasks that you know you have to do for the day. Mm-hmm. And you live by those tasks, and then stuff happens during the day. Like, you don't, like, you don't know what's going to happen. 
like I feel like you can kind of plan around what's going to happen in a day here because we've like I don't want to say industrialized, but we've like we've made it so there's nothing really that can surprise us much anymore. Yes, true. We try to control every outcome. Yeah, and so when you're up there, you don't know what's going to happen all day because you're like the wilderness and the mountains and the weather. It controls what you're going to do and it controls you pretty much. So you're just trying to live by that pretty much and yeah live, and that makes it a lot easier to live in the moment because you don't know what's going to happen each day you just know what you have to do mm-hmm. the philosophy of Ronan definitely <laughs> it's good it's so true Ronan I, I think like it's I, I don't have anything more to add because it's that's so true so so true it's a good reminder I think for all of us living our daily lives where we are now, right? So. Yeah, and I feel like I don't really get people that say, like, live in the moment, live in the moment. And, but it's like you can't just say live in the moment and then live in the moment, I feel. You have to make changes in your life. or Because like, if you just say live in the moment, how are you going to live in the moment when you have to plan for each day ahead of you? Like, that's not living in the moment, really. Like, truly, that's not living in the moment. But when you're out there, you have to. Like, it forces you to live like that. Mm. It's a lot easier to live in the moment, especially when you're out in the wilderness. And, like, the feeling, like, it's just, I don't know, it's so hard to explain. There's just a feeling that comes over you. Maybe it's just hunger, but (laughs) it's a certain feeling. (laughs) Hunger would do it for sure. (laughs) We're not starving, though, people. (laughs) So we are at an hour already. Damn. Yeah. So I'll ask one more question, and then I think we can continue. I have some, uh, some stories too. Yeah. You so, and and then or maybe we'll pause it, and we can. I get you. I'll get and you to come back parts. and yeah, and part. record a story to end it, and then we can do a second part as well. So or maybe we can just make it two parts. This is the question time, and then the next one. Yeah, we story. can do, we can do that for sure. For sure. Okay. What kind of parental support would you like along the way? What I like. Yeah. No, what you gave me. Oh. I was close. I got. I can move it. What I like. Um, <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I feel like I definitely want you to be supportive of me always, because I like you all are supportive of me. But I know what I want to do always, and I feel like I know, especially when I'm up there, just letting me do my own thing. And of course, you can't control my life, especially when I'm like away from you, <laughs> but. Just supporting me because I'm not like I feel like I'm not. What's the right word? I'm not. I feel like I don't. I'm not going to make wrong decisions. I definitely will along the way, but I feel like my decisions are right in the moment, and I want to make these decisions. Um. So supporting me, of course, is kind of a no brainer. And hmm. <laughs> I, I want support as parental support. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Parental support. Financial support? <laughs> no, I don't want, no. If I have financial support by you guys, it just makes me feel guilty. Why? Mostly. Because it's just, I don't want, I don't know, I feel like I'm dead then. You feel like you're in debt? Yeah. To us? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I don't, I don't like financial support as much. It's like, I like, it's good to have, but I do like it. <laughs> yes. But it's just, I don't know, it makes me feel guilty. Um, I don't really know. Just letting me do my own thing, mostly. Like letting me make the decisions for myself mm-hmm. is the biggest thing. 
but if you just let me make my own decisions, I feel like there isn't much else you need to support me on. Like, you can support me how you think you should support me, of course, but just letting me make my own decisions. All right. Great answer. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in. I guess we'll decide if we uh, have, a have a part two or and or how we will end this. <laughs> for now, we will sign story. off. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll come back with stories as well. Thanks for listening, and thanks to my son for being wonderful and taking this time and answering the questions so well. Like, really, he did not know the questions beforehand, so this was just like off the cuff in the moment. And I appreciate. It. I mean, I learned a ton from him too, and. Yeah, I thought it was um, a good share. So thanks. Thanks, everyone. Send in any questions you have, and we will answer them in the next part. Take care. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review, or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Mm-hmm.